So this feels quite strange for me because I don't normally interview people that I know. And when you're talking to a stranger, there's kind of no pressure in terms of creating a rapport. But this almost feels like more pressure because, I don't know, there might be some kind of expectation of humorous back and forth. (laughs) People are going to be expecting banter. Yeah, I don't really do that. (laughs) (laughs) Neither do I. How are you feeling about it? Uh, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. Yeah, I mean, this feels like a very, this is a very professional setup. <laughs> I'm literally looking at my computer with a with a camera microphone precariously placed on top of it, wearing a pair of, I believe, seven ninety nine headphones like a few years ago, <laughs> uh, plugged into the top of my PC. So it's a really, yeah, it's a really pro pro setup I've got going on here. But yeah, no, I mean, this this will be my first ever uh, podcast recording, so that's that's exciting. Do you have any alcohol with you? Oh, I don't. Do you? You have got a can of gin and tonic. Oh, shoot. Can I can I rectify that? Yeah, absolutely. Great. I'm going to go do that because <laughs> I think I have probably a beer in the fridge. That'll make this podcast at least 10 times better, right? Definitely. Especially because I'm going to leave the bit in where you wander off for five minutes and it's just silence. I'll I'll take 10 and that can that will feel like <laughs> at least a third of the podcast, right? <laughs> right I'm going to try not to knock anything. Since my guest has gone to get a beer, this might be a good opportunity for me to say hello and to introduce you to the podcast. My name is Em Anderson and you're listening to Unfinishing. It's the podcast where I ask my guests to dig into their bottom drawers and plug in old hard drives to rediscover projects that they haven't finished or that they haven't made public. My guest this week, who I hope will be returning shortly, is Graham Oakes. He's here to talk about his endeavours in stand-up comedy, in sketch groups, and in creating YouTube videos. Graham tells me about how he prepared for his first stand-up gig during a three-hour window when he was also carrying mattresses through Newcastle, and about what happened when a community of real vampires took a dislike to one of his videos. And if you make it to the end of the interview, there's a load of stuff about Hugh Laurie. Before we get to that, I also want to let you know that I'm always on the lookout for new guests. So if you have a project that you haven't finished or haven't yet made public, you can contact me on unfinishing.pod at gmail.com or on Twitter at truebagglerag. The link's in the show notes if that doesn't make sense. Should we talk about comedy? I guess we should talk about comedy, yeah. Let's talk about comedy. So... Your unfinished project, which I guess isn't really describable as a as a project, it's more a thing that you used to do a lot of. A, a life a lifelong project. A lifelong project. It depends. It depends how you. If if we consider that I'm very much at the start of it, then yeah, maybe. I mean, you're picking it up again soon, right? We can talk about that as well. Oh, absolutely. How did you start getting into stand-up comedy? Well, I mean, my very first ever stand-up gig I did while I was at university. And that it wasn't actually on a it wasn't actually on a comedy night. I'd, I'd done comedy before that. I'd done like sketch comedy with the university and like at sixth form, and I'd done like little bits of performance here and there. So I'd done uh, like sketch comedy in sort of I guess comedic plays while at sixth form college. Then while at university, got involved with the theatre society sketch group, wrote and directed a couple of pantomimes for the university. Nice. It was a bit of an odd situation. The, the year that I joined, it was kind of the last year that the people who 
were part of the Newcastle University sort of sketch troupe were kind of like leaving. So mm -hmm. I kind of joined it for a year, did like a show with them. They all left. And then it was kind of to me to be like, okay, well, I'd like to actually carry this on, but there's nobody else who's like a part of it. So I kind of took that on, I guess, organized a number of shows, including writing and starring and kind of like piecing together the, the sketches. And then there was a there was an arts night. I, I studied fine art while I was at university. And there was a night where people were doing, I guess, poetry. I'm, just, I'm sure there were some monologues. People were displaying their artworks. Um, and I, I registered my interest to, to be like, I could be interested in doing some stand-up. I've never done it before, but it could be fun. And I was initially told, I was like, oh, actually, no, we're, we're filled up. There isn't there isn't space. I was like, probably for the best. Might not be the, the greatest of audiences for doing some stand-up mm -hmm. comedy. But then on the day of the show, and I think it was probably about three hours before, somebody got in touch and was like, oh, we've actually had somebody drop out. Would you like to come into your stand-up? I was like, right, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it was only it was only mildly awkward in the fact that I, I remember within those three hours I was helping somebody move the house <laughs> I was carrying like mattresses through the streets while also trying to go through my stand-up set to, to try and do stand-up for the very first time I mean I'm glad that you said that it was part of an art show because when you said you started doing stand-up not on a comedy night I thought god did you just stand up and like inflict it on people at random um, so I'm glad I mean I have done that before that has <laughs> happened so and and I, and I can tell you it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work. Uh, when did that happen? Oh oh, it was. I, I want to say it was a Queen's Jubilee. I think it might have been. It was something something to do with the royals. The village name passes me by. It'll come to me in a little bit. It begins with a K. I'm pretty sure. And we had like an event venue, and there was bunting. I remember the bunting. <laughs> And the problem was is that like this big room stage, you know, there was lights, you know, the appropriate sound system, everything that you'd want from a comedy night, but only two people bought tickets. And th this event venue was on the side of a hotel. And this hotel was a popular place for people who were doing like the coast to coast to stop off at. So it was it was actually fairly busy. I forget what night of the week this was. It could have been a weekend. And yeah, we, we after much deliberation, decided that we were going to set at the microphone in the dining hall where people were just eating their dinners yeah and it was it was really bizarre i mean hilarious for us because obviously it was so ridiculous um <laughs> and yeah it, it really how well each of the acts went down really depended on um at what point of the meal everybody was at you know <laughs> if they were in if they were in the main course they were paying nobody any attention i think i think i did my set maybe between the main course and dessert and so like I had a fairly attentive room like people were turning people were turning and at least acknowledging that I existed that I was there <laughs> forcing comedy upon them whereas some of my friends obviously tried their best but when you when you perform into a room of people who weren't expecting comedy <laughs> and just wanted to eat their dinner it's difficult it's tricky so yeah no I have tried I have forced comedy on on people so couple of things. I guess that sounds like a lot of people's worst nightmare. And also you said that when you did your first gig, you had three hours to prepare whilst helping someone move house, which sounds to me like not having time to prepare. And you kind of skipped over that, but that sounds horrendous. Were you just okay with that? I mean, how did that go down? I think I think it was probably, it's probably a really good way to do it. 
I would have had my material ready. Like I would have had, it's not like I had three hours to just write stuff from scratch. You know, when I, when I put myself forward to do it, I will have had material and stuff written. And it was kind of, I guess, just in that three hour period, I had to just go through it, piece together exactly what I was going to say, make sure I kind of roughly knew what I was going to say, and then just kind of do it. And I guess, I guess if you've only got three hours, you, you can only get like so nervous and worked up in that period. Sure. And so it actually, it was, it was quite, I don't remember how relaxed I was and I don't know if there's ever a time when you're doing stand-up comedy that, that you know you're completely relaxed in terms of this is going to be fine but yeah I think it was it was probably a good way because I, I wasn't like spending days worrying about it or over overthinking things mm. or so it was okay I would have I would have had things prepped I imagine so it's interesting what you said about never being completely relaxed when you're doing stand-up because you've done you did a gig at the end of last year after which you sent me a voice note telling me about how the gig had gone mm. and the adrenaline seemed to just ooze out of the phone as I listened to it you were absolutely buzzing what does it feel like during and after a guess when you're doing a gig um yeah it's really dependent on how well it went mm. and kind of kind of the room that you're performing to more often than not, yeah, that adrenaline and buzzing is is a is a is a good word to, to describe it. If you've if you've had a successful gig and the material that you've done has has gone down well, uh, I think in the instance of like the gig that I did last year, that was the that was the first gig that I'd done in seven years. I think mm-hmm. I think I figured out it's seven years, which is a hefty gap. That's a hefty gap <laughs> between doing stand up gigs. I think I'd, I'd spent that week before the gig going through old material going through material that I'd written it mm. you know in between that time period I think the breakdown of that gig was probably one quarter old stuff and then the, the other 75 percent was maybe a mix of stuff that I'd yeah. written over just years prior and and I think probably a third of it was just stuff that I'd written that week I, I, I definitely felt nervous from the standpoint of that a lot of it was new a lot you don't know if new stuff is actually going to go down well or not mm. so to, to have it work and to have a new joke that you've just written that week or maybe, you know, months before actually land and for people to laugh at it. Like it, mm-hmm. yeah, that is an excellent feeling. But there's going to be times where you write something which doesn't land. And, mm-hmm. you know, then then you've just kind of got to go, okay, well, actually, that didn't go so well. But then, you know, think on why why that didn't work and sort of either, you know, drop the material and mm-hmm. or, or rework it and, and, and try and improve it. Sometimes you can just have a bit of a bum gig or the audience that there is times where, you know, a joke will work in a particular setting, but not another. Mm-hmm. So so I was just going to say to any any people who are thinking about doing stand up, if a joke doesn't work in its first, <laughs> don't be afraid to try it again. But if it just continues to not work, yeah, probably probably rethink it. And what's the attraction of doing it? Doing stand up full stop. Yeah. Oh, um, so, I mean, for me. And, and I guess, you know, the attraction of doing stand-up or the attraction of doing s- sketch comedy or comedy plays is is making the audience laugh. Like, I think that is such a satisfying and instantly gratifying uh, feeling, which, yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's, you know, I think anybody can relate to that. I think anybody who's, I don't know, been at dinner with friends and you make a, a joke which then everybody else laughs at. I think everybody can relate to that and how good that mm-hmm. feels. So I feel like I feel like everybody can sort of latch onto that. And 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 then, you know, that, that sort of 
is adrenaline the right word for like a post gig sort of high? I don't, I don't, you know, that feeling of doing afterwards because it is, it is obviously nerve wracking. I remember, oh, some advice that a, com- uh, a comedian gave to me, like when I was first starting out, went along the lines of, and and I can't remember this word for word, but it was, it was something along the lines of the day you you no longer feel nervous doing stand up is the day that you've stopped caring. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And this probably comes out in a lot of things I do from a creative standpoint, that sort of feeling that you get after you've done something well and people come to you and say, oh, I really, really enjoyed that. And you go, that's, that, that feels very good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that a lot. You know, I'd get that doing, you know, doing artwork. It, it's just, it's a lot slower process. You know, you can spend 20 hours uh, doing a bit of art and then, you know, display it to the world. And then somebody will be like, oh, yeah, that's really good. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. nice. With stand-up, it's, it's instant because you straight away get the get the response but then also if you've if you've done well you know afterwards having other comedians members of the audience sort of say that they actually really enjoyed your work <laughs> you know as a i guess as an art form is yeah is is very gratifying that's incredibly intriguing because you don't strike me as someone who needs other people's approval you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't strike me that that's how your personality works. So it's it's really intriguing that that is something that you take from from stand up and from art. Yeah, I I, I think I, I guess the question there is if I was to approach doing stand up and mm. I never had anybody laugh at me, mm-hmm. would you continue to do it? Because I feel like you know so so much art, whether it's painting or writing or creating music, mm-hmm. a lot of that can be for yourself. You could write something and never let anybody else read it. That would be great. That would be absolutely fine. You know, you've just created that for yourself. The thing with stand-up comedy is that it, it is almost created to be heard and, and witnessed by other people. I think with stand-up in particular, yeah, I think it does need that sort of, needs to be out in the world. It needs to have that sort of audience feedback to validate it as being worthwhile or being good or you know so yeah I, that's quite an interesting thing to ponder on that I'd not thought about before <laughs> so thank you for that okay so let's talk about the different gigs that you've done so you've got you've done a gig at an art show you've done a gig with bunting while people ate dinner what other kind of gigs were you doing when you were doing stand-up regularly uh, well that was it I just did the two <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just like I think I've peaked I'm gonna call it a day after those that would be very on brand for this podcast so that, that would be, be, be excellent. <laughs> I did two gigs and then and then just called it called it a day um <laughs> what was the question what other gigs did I do what kind of gigs in general were you doing when you're doing a lot of comedy um so I mean for the I, I guess for for the people listening it's worth mentioning that I never became a professional stand-up comedian it was very much a a serious hobby uh <laughs> something that i did very regularly and did occasionally get paid for but but you know it was it, it was not something that i was doing full time so the vast majority of my gigs would have been mostly open mic gigs or gigs where i was basically invited um along to to perform at uh, and it might have been that there was a collection of comedians performing in some of those instances i may have got paid in some of them uh, I might not have done, and it was just obviously for the experience and doing a large uh, selection of different types of gigs. Mm-hmm. And over my years, like I ran a number of comedy nights as well, 
so I, I booked the acts and emceed, compared the evenings for, for a number of nights. Me and a, c- a couple of other stand-ups ran one in Gateshead. Mm-hmm. I took on the running of one in Newcastle, uh, and I took over the running of one in Hartlepool as well. Those were shows that I'd performed at myself, but then either took on or shared the comparing duty. Mm. So just basically being the person who'd uh, introduce the acts and try, try his best and have audience banter uh, <laughs> in between the other people performing. So, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you the exact breakdown of, of, of sort of emceeing to regular stand-up gigs, but as time went on, I was probably, you know, it could have been 50-50. Uh, hopefully that answers your question in terms of sort of the, the, the landscape of comedy gigs that I did. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the other formats that you did was uh, YouTube and also sketch comedy, and mm. this is a very professional segue into a clip that we're going to listen to. Fantastic. <laughs> which I've titled American Fans Clip. So this was a video that you did for your YouTube channel following, I think, a performance with the sketch group that you were in? Yes. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, sorry. I wasn't sure if that was the cue to play the clip or if I needed to say a little bit more about it. Um, so uh, after doing stand-up for a number of years, me and three other stand-up comedians formed a sketch group. We called ourselves Jolly Mixtures, and it was mighty fine. It was a mighty fine sketch. <laughs> we we didn't we didn't perform far and wide. We took to uh, writing and performing a new show monthly, which now that I say that it just sounds ridiculous. But we did we did do that over the space of a, a year in Saltaire near Bradford. Mm-hmm. It was I mean it was I guess a bit of a strange experience because we kind of wrote uh, independently of each other, got together on the day, rehearsed the day of and then performed in the evening. And uh, thankfully, it always went really well, and people really enjoyed it, and people kept coming back. And, and you know, we kept not necessarily selling out the room, but getting, you know, getting good numbers of people to, to come and watch. We did do gigs elsewhere uh, in Newcastle and Hull, uh, sort of the other, the other locations that we performed at. That was a good, that was a very fun um, experience. I feel like I've not necessarily segued into the clip that you wanted to play but i guess that's a little bit of a background as to, to the sketch group situation i use my real name on youtube well you have to i mean how else would someone know exactly how, 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 could I... how else could we follow you to england exactly how would you locate me down if i use some random name diane has been calling me a stalker are you no. Good, good. No, no. That could have been awkward. No, we did. She was talking like I was going to get in speed. I was well, like, hiding you... the until you came out. We tackled you. I mean, had we had a camera recording that, YouTube viral hits right there. <laughs> Crazy fan well, yeah, tackles yeah. random YouTuber. <laughs> We've actually just performed our third Johnny Mixes show, which these guys have come to see. Yes. If you just want, if you're wondering All what's the way going from on, America. it was All amazing. All the way from America. So basically, two years ago, I made a video about Doctor Who, which these guys managed to watch, and have since been watching all of my videos ever since, and leaving a, a comment on most of them, which is good. You, I mean, if you go through my videos, you'll notice that there's probably two people or three which are the most consistent commenters on my videos. Anyway, they managed to find me. Oh, it sounds a bit weird. Uh, it's not. It's been. It's been. Please don't. Uh, it's alright. It's alright. <laughs> they came to see my show. Uh, my sketch show, Jolly Mixtures. You haven't come from America just to see me. Of course yeah, we, we would never have ended up in Bradford. <clears throat> no, you wouldn't have come to Saltaire near Bradford. Uh, <laughs> your first day in England, and you've come to like a place that I hadn't even been to until two months ago. So, well done. No, you're doing a tour of Europe, aren't you? Yeah, and well, you... mostly just Ireland and the UK and France. Because of Doctor Who. 
Yes. Are you excited for the 50th anniversary? Yes. That's exciting. Yes, I think he'll do. I'm excited. Are you going to watch it in 3D? It's, it's getting, in 3D? It's getting recorded in 3D. Not in America. In 3D? Oh, is it not? I've never heard. We barely have 2D in America. <laughs> no, we have 3D. How, how do you not have 2D? We have 3D. We have 3D. All of our television is just 1D. Uh, it's like grey, it's a massive grey box, uh, which has sound and we're we just like, we have to make America. the rest of it up. You're going to get so many angry comments saying, I want three movies in America. I don't know. Trash. That's a very American word. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah, it's, you it's do what is it called? The bin? The bin, yeah. The bin. They don't have jelly babies over in no. America. And no jammy dodgers. No jammy dodgers. All mm-hmm. Doctor Who based foods. Don't exist over there. We uh, don't ever eat beans on toast. Fish fingers. Beans. Oh, beans on toast. It sounds like the most disgusting thing in the entire world. What? We've never had beans on toast. What, it's you... baked beans on toast. Yes. That's disgusting. Have you not had a chip a chip study? A what? A chip like a chip buddy. What's stop? Was a what? Like chips in a bun. We don't. Uh, <laughs> we don't have chips the way you do. Oh, we didn't know what a bap was. Oh yeah, baps. Yeah, big. Oh bun. no, wait, sorry, crisps. No, I'm talking. Yeah. So it was a crisp sandwich. I'm talking French fries. Is that <laughs> sorry, right? I'm what? talking fries. No, it was a crisp sandwich. It was a. Yeah, it was a crisp sandwich. Like, oh, crisp sandwiches are also good. <laughs> yeah, I have those. Chips are crisps to you. Yeah. Yes. There we go. I yeah, forget no. these things. Sorry, we no? forgot to. Yes. Yes. No. What? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Where are you guys going for the rest of your tour? Have you got other places? Tomorrow morning, 7.15, bus to London. London, here we come. I'm not going there, but uh, yeah, that sounds exciting. And that's, that's your clip that's from... My, that's my clip. From Jolly Mixture. So... I don't know, would you say that there's a large overlap between Doctor Who fans and your YouTube fans? <laughs> um, I, I mean, uh, so I did a couple of Doctor Who based videos on my YouTube channel. Who And, and I mean, this this was, oh, when was this? I mean, I mean, we're talking 2012, 2013. I did some Doctor Who based uh, sketches. That was that was two two of my uh, regular fans who just kind of uh, you know tuned in to every every YouTube video that I put out <laughs> and got in touch with me saying that they were coming over to England and that they would like to meet up uh, and I sort of said well I'm doing a sketch show on this date that you're here by all means come along not expecting not expecting that because you know I I, I can't remember the exact trajectory that they were sort of heading on but. I think they'd been in Wales and then then they'd come to England, and I imagine they were heading down to London. Oh, what did what did they say in the clip? They said London. They did yeah. say London. So you know, coming over Bradford direction is is a little bit out there, but you know, I think they had a good evening. The the I I recall the show going well, and we hadn't planned to like film while they were there. We we're just like, do you just do you want to? So we hadn't like prepped, as you can probably tell, listening to that clip. Like there was no. <laughs> <laughs> there was no structure to it. It was just turn a camera on and just sort of like chat in front of it for a bit, uh, which was fun. And I mean, that was fun to listen back to. There's there's some videos on my YouTube channel I have listened to more recently, but then there's some which, which just you know I haven't haven't returned to. Um, mm. <laughs> I think the ones I have listened to more recently because it has been some time. I I, I like the the fact that I pleasantly surprised myself uh, in terms of. They weren't terrible mm. because there is there is that worry, isn't there? That you know something you did ten years ago could have been atrocious. Um, sure. And they, I mean they weren't they weren't amazing, but I think twenty three year old Graham um, <laughs> had enough insight into what was what was good and what was bad to to put on the internet for the world to see. 
it, I, to be honest, I forget most of the time that I have videos of myself on YouTube mm-hmm. until somebody brings it up being like, oh, Graham, I've watched it. I found a video of you online. Or <laughs> it happens less now, but back in the, the years after uh, a video that I did on how to talk Geordie, yeah. which, which got quite a lot of views. You know, you know, occasionally I'd come across somebody who recognised me. Uh, you know, specifically from Newcastle. Um, yeah. Let's not let's not assume <laughs> I had nationwide uh, recognition. Yeah, that would sort of remind me that. Oh, yeah, no, actually, yeah, people could still be watching that. I mean, I think I think that video is still getting views. I'm not mm. I'm not too sure. It's mainly me. It's, yeah. No, that's that's <laughs> that's that's fine. And me. <laughs> Just <laughs> really getting that view count up. I mean, it does have a lot of views. I can't remember how many now. Do you know? Uh, I don't, but I can look. Where is it? Oh, God. Oh, yeah, it looks so young. It looks so young. <laughs> Back in the day, Graham. Here we go. How to talk, Geordie. Ooh, 666,000. That's substantial. We've got 666. Uh, <laughs> 2.7 thousand likes. Great. 480 comments. Uh, this is the weird thing. Sometimes people will leave comments on my on the videos still. Mm. For years after I made a, and I think I think you have a clip of this one as well. I made a video about why real vampires hate Twilight, mm-hmm. and the re- the reason I think the reason I came up with that idea is I think I had a I felt like it was a good idea to have this sort of sketch where, you know, a real vampire just has a great dislike for Twilight because he wanted to have a part <laughs> in Twilight, um, uh, but also like it was a topical thing at the time. You know, that it was back when mm. Twilight was quite a big thing. So I think I think a lot of people did watch it, but for the duration of the time that Twilight was in popular media and for years after i would continue to get people commenting and actually a lot of my most bizarre comments came from that video in as much as i'd get people who believed they were actual vampires oh wow telling me and and the world that everything i was saying in the video was was not true and that, that <laughs> and that i was in fact not a real vampire and how dare i <laughs> how dare i sort of sprout all of these lies which is wild and bizarre because I feel like receiving a few of those comments would be understandable. Like if they, if 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 people would it? Well, no, if people were joking, like if it was a joke. Like, okay. Yeah. But it felt like there was enough people leaving comments that I was just like, this is slightly concerning that so mm. many people. I guess the thing that you have to remind yourself on is you don't know how old these people are. This could be teenagers who have a have a belief that they are in fact vampires, um, and I mean they'll be they'll be well into their twenties now. Uh, I'd like to get back in touch with them and be like, "Do you still believe in this comment that you left ten years ago?" I mean, the irony there is that they believed that they were vampires, but weren't willing to believe that you were also a vampire. So it's not like you think that if you believed in vampires, you could accept someone else being a vampire as well. Well, I mean, yeah, but it, it, I guess it depends on on what the true characteristics of being a vampire is, because my portrayal of being a vampire was wasn't what Twilight portrayed it as, and it wasn't, you know, I, I basically kind of flipped some of the um, the tropes that they'd come up with and sort of flipped them around. So I don't know if somebody believed that a Twilight vampire was the correct form of vampire, then what I was portraying myself as was 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 not that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that was that was a more interesting video to get feedback on because I wasn't expecting so many real vampires to come <laughs> out and call me out on it. Since you've set it up, I, I might as well play the clip now, I think. Yeah, sure thing. I feel like that's appropriate. 
What's your thoughts on the sparkling? Uh, the sparkling, well actually they did get a little bit right there. We do sparkle during the day, it's just that when you see those sparkles you get set on fire. I always thought it was vampires who burned in the sun. Ah, so if you wanted to kill me, take me outside, right? Yeah. And then you'd be on fire. Yeah, you see? Clever, eh? We thought that rumour through. You mean, why is it so ridiculous? Yeah, you see, it was, it was just a phase, really. It was just, that's all it was. I mean, here's a, here's a word to everybody watching. Before you go out tonight, ask yourselves, would I be happy looking like this for the rest of eternity? What's that? It's Ribena. It is. And the fact that they're all good looking? Oh, well, it's an image thing, you see. Well, we actually have a saying. Kill the mingers, keep the cuties. You know, between all the burning and the screaming, you know, I just like to think that maybe there's something beautiful in the middle of it all. You know, is that is that so wrong to believe? I mean, I don't like the fact that everybody sets on fire all the time. I mean, my, my best friend used to be a human and, and we were having a sleepover this one time and I mean, he was sleeping, I was awake, obviously. and. And he'd forgotten to close the curtain, and, and then he set on fire in the morning, and I was like, oh no! Oh, I'm sorry, just, oh, it's just, uh, I'm feeling a bit emotional. So, so why do you hate Twilight? All I'm saying is that you'd think a real vampire would be able to get a pot. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And I have to say that you're wearing some fantastic makeup in that video as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, that's a weird one to listen to without the visuals. Mm. <laughs> especially especially the, the emotional crying. <laughs> that's, that's quite special. I think that was one of my one of my earlier YouTube videos. Mm. I don't think I did too many where like actual acting needed to occur. Not that I can necessarily call that actual acting, but you know, I was trying <laughs> to portray a character at least. But yeah, I was just having a look. 47... 47,000 views on that one. That's pretty good going. Only 171 comments, probably 150 of them from <laughs> actual vampires. <laughs> so your YouTube is a mixture of that kind of thing, of you talking to camera, talking to fans. What kind of comedy did you do in your stand-up? Was there a particular style that you would do? Yeah, I guess it was just myself portraying myself. Mm -hmm. I, I did do, I think, three gigs as a character once. The first two went great, the third one went terrible, so I kind of <laughs> dropped it after that. I guess observational in nature, probably, but but also not. I don't think I would, I don't think I would have classified myself, classified myself as a observational comedian. Yeah, it was mostly about me and, I guess, stories and interesting, you know, fun things that I'd noticed about stuff. <laughs> You know, classic stand-up material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what makes a good joke? Oh, what an excellent question. What <laughs> what does make a good joke? I mean, ultimately, one that people laugh at is always <laughs> going to be, that's a good joke. But in terms of the construction of the joke, I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. I think, I think my approach to writing. I mean, this is you mentioned earlier on that I may be getting the urge to get back into doing some more stand-up. So I did my mm -hmm. first gig in seven years last year, and I have got in touch with uh, with some people to, to do some more, ho hopefully this year. Mm -hmm. But I think my approach to, to, to doing it is definitely going to be more from a, a fun perspective. I think when I did it originally, I, I did take it from not, not a serious point of view, but like I was gigging 
very frequently. I think between doing such frequent gigs and then also like trying to create YouTube videos and then spending time editing those, like I didn't actually spend a tremendous amount of time writing. And so what I would quite like to do is to just do a gig every so often, mm -hmm. but then write in between and like try out some new stuff, rework things. And, and I think building a joke, coming up with sort of a, a, a loose sort of concept and then just writing and seeing kind of what works and then finding what you find to be mm. funny. And it's not always, that's not always the case. Like I've definitely written stuff where I've gone, that's, that's really good. The punchline to this joke, that's going to land well. And it may land okay, but there'll be a bit halfway through the joke, which the audience will be, they'll find it hilarious. And you'll be like, oh, okay. So <laughs> the, the funniest bit came halfway through. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the end of the joke seemed a little bit lackluster in comparison. So, yeah, I don't know if I can sort of break down what makes a good, a good joke, because I feel like, I mean, there's so many approaches to creating jokes and to stand up and... Maybe, maybe, if, maybe if I knew the definition of uh, what makes a good joke, you know, maybe, maybe I'd be, you know, a, a world phenomenon on on the stand-up <laughs> circuit. But um, keep pushing me for an answer, and I might come up with it. We can workshop it now and figure it out together. Yeah, I was thinking about just staying silent and seeing where you got to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can keep talking, and maybe eventually <laughs> I'll crack it. So you touched on the fact there that you're looking to start doing gigs again. And I think that relates to something that we were saying before we started recording, that there's a difference between not pursuing something anymore and never doing it again. And I wondered if you could tell me your thoughts on that when it comes to your comedy. I think, I mean, when I, when I was doing stand-up, I transitioned into doing sketch comedy. And when I was doing sketch comedy, I, I came across the realisation I really enjoyed performing with other people. I did the Edinburgh Fringe for three years, and we did. I did three shows, all three of them with like another comedian. Mm. Two, two of them was a little bit more. You know, I would do a set, they would do their set, and we didn't really interact. But then the mm. third show, we both had our material, but it, it was one of the girls that I was doing from the sketch group, and we were able to sort of work together to like split up our sets and kind of have little bits where we would interact and have like little sketchy sections in it. Mm. And then when the sketch group sort of disbanded because a couple of members sort of moved down to London, somebody had a family on the way and it just kind of sort of phased out. I didn't really return to doing stand-up because I didn't really feel like I was like, oh, I really enjoyed doing sketches and doing other things. And I and I actually transitioned into just doing some amateur theatre, like just doing some just doing some plays. I was Hugo in The Vicar <laughs> of Dibley. I, I go through I go through cycles of having creative interests and what takes my focus at a particular time mm -hmm. and, and I think over the years you know I've, I've had cycles of doing stand-up or sketch comedy or doing theatre or doing art or doing photography yeah I'm going through a period at the moment where I'm, I'm heavily into photography but I've also started playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends I'm being the dungeon master for a group and having to obviously write and create a story. And that's actually got me writing a little bit more, but n not necessarily all comedic, although I think I can't help myself sometimes. That, you know, <laughs> that is sort of what I enjoy. So I feel like uh, there was never a point where I was like, right, I've given up doing stand-up. Like I never, that moment never existed. And, and, and I think this would be a super interesting conversation to have with other people who have done stand-up in the past or have done something creative where... They just kind of, it feels like you've always done it. Mm -hmm. Things like comedy and art for me are just things that I've kind of always done. Mm -hmm. And so I perceive them as to be things that, 
things that I will always do. I just might not be actively doing it at a particular moment. You know, in the seven years between gigs, I've continued writing things whenever I've got a, a nice mm-hmm. idea or something funny came to mind. So I've, I've had notes upon notes upon notes. You know, I was writing stuff during the pandemic. And in fact, it was during the pandemic when, I don't know, the urge to return to doing stand-up kind of came about and I was like oh well this is not the right time because nobody can go to any <laughs> comedy clubs and I, I find myself quite looking forward to the pandemic ending so I could actually return to it. I, I think when you enjoy something so much other interests can sort of take their priority and other things in life can take their priority but I would hope I would always sort of have a place for it and uh, be able to return to it in, in whatever capacity. And earlier you mentioned that anyone can relate to the good feeling of, for example, being at dinner and making your friends laugh. And from what I can tell, you go about your life looking for opportunities to do that, to tell a joke and to make people laugh, whether or not you're on stage. I guess I have a couple of questions really, which is what's the benefit in having that approach to interacting with people? And also what's the overlap, if any, between the jokes that you tell in life and your stand-up? So, so the first question is, what's the benefit of taking a humorous approach to just everyday interactions? Mm. I mean, I don't know if there is necessarily a benefit other, other than, you know, I think I, I do have a tendency to make jokes maybe more often than people may, may be used to. Mm. It's Sometimes it's quite interesting talking to people who do enjoy having a laugh and who do who do make jokes just like out with their friends because they'll sometimes say oh I've, I've always fancied giving stand-up a go or maybe I'll give it a go sometime and I'll sort of be like oh yeah do it definitely and they'll be like no I'm probably not going to do that I guess to try and answer your question the, the benefits I mean it's it's great at diffusing tense situations mm-hmm. that's that's useful sometimes it m- might not be always tremendously appropriate but if, if there was like a an element of tension in a conversation like I'm not I'm not an argumentative person I will most likely you know try and crack wise or or, or lighten the mood in some sort of manner mm-hmm. and thankfully that seems to be an ability that I have that works <laughs> <laughs> for the most part um whether whether my experience of having done stand-up benefits that at all mm-hmm. probably probably not a tremendous amount mm-hmm. like I think my you know my stand-up experience will only come into its own I think more in a like in a larger crowd sort of environment like mm. if you put in front of a room of people I mean I guess last weekend is an example of that I was at Keswick Mountain Festival for like a work-related uh, mountain festival <laughs> and there was a quiz uh, occurring in the evening and you know I put myself forward to sort of ask some of the questions and, you know it feels very comfortable and I enjoy it's it's not performance but I enjoy interacting with people in sort of you know, if I can make it as an, an enjoyable experience for people as possible, uh, you know, I would like to. I, I like to do that. Here's a reference for you in relation yeah. to your American fans clip. Do it, Colin from Love Actually. If I could remember Love Actually, this would be going much smoother. <laughs> yeah, that's, why, that's why I didn't say it in the middle. Of it. I, was like, <laughs> I thought about it and I was like, no, because if he doesn't get the reference. I have seen Love Actually, but I don't, I can't remember. Yeah, so there's a bit where Colin, who's like played by Nick from My Family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah goes to America because 
all American girls will want to sleep with him. And they see yes. a bar and and they're doing the whole, oh, what do you call this thing? Oh, uh, yeah. I do remember that. I accidentally reenacted that. You did. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Nick from my family. I have had people tell me that I'm reminiscent of him. This is back when I used to do stand up. I don't think I am now because obviously I've aged. So I feel as though you look like everyone because there's that, because I do think there is an overlap there with Nick from my family, whose name I've forgotten. Yeah, but we'll just keep calling him Nick from my family. We should look this up in case I do. I don't think I'm going to include any of this, but just in case we do, we should find out what the actor's name is. This is gold. Don't don't get this out. This is the best bit. New podcast idea. Graham and Dr. Aaron Lee Anderson talk about famous people. Try and remember facts (laughs) about them with no knowledge. (laughs) Nick from my family. Chris Marshall. I never knew that. So you look a little bit like him. You also look a little bit like Hugh Laurie. I've had that before, yeah. A little bit like Robert Panson. I have had that before, but mostly when I'm dressed as a vampire. <laughs> Hugh Laurie, I think, is probably my most regular. And now you've even got a beard. It's like you're you're copying him. Or is he copying me? Oh, he's copying you. It's more likely, isn't it? He's probably watched that Top Geordie video at least 550,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> most of my viewership notoriously comes from Hugh Laurie. <laughs> That'd be, I mean, that would be great. I feel like I want to Google what Hugh Laurie looks like now and be like, what am I going to look like in 10 years? <laughs> also, I feel like more than 10 years. <laughs> I have no idea how old Hugh Laurie is. I think older than that, I assume. He's 62 years old. No. Yeah. Maybe he's always going to be young in my in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do I have to do to stop you from putting certain bits in the podcast? Unbroadcastable. <laughs> Do we need like a proper closing? No, normally I just finish it with there's the interview and then some music and then like 10 second clip of probably you saying something funny. <laughs>